I'm either really good at lying or really good at mental gymnastics or both. <laughs> um, I think the topic is millennial physically and mentally out. Physically and mentally out. Physically and mentally out. That is so interesting. You know, I think the quicksand represents the world. I think, you know, like real life, I'm trying to move down away from what I've been, you know, I, I like that I'm sinking. I like that I'm sinking. I like that I'm sinking. When I tried to mention that stuff on my mission, I was gaslighted, gaslit, whatever the word is for it. And same thing when I got home and I found this stuff, everyone's like, you're crazy, you're anti-Mormon. You know, I'm like, well, I read it on the church website. So unless I'm hallucinating, I'm pretty sure that's, you know. Doesn't anyone notice this? I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Gaslighted, 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 gaslighted. You know, honestly, I, I still don't know. Um, I think I just had a feeling that my purpose was to affect positive change within the church. And I had a really strong impression that I could be in the church, but not of the church. And there's still a lot of general spiritual principles that I believe. I just, the organization, I feel like could use a lot of work. And I I feel like if I if I'm there, I'm gonna, I'm gonna tease you, Zach. I'm, are you please. prepared for this? Okay, I'm so prepared. Okay, all right. <laughs> this is infants on thrones, baby steps. You want someone to preach to? The philosophies of men. I like magical toys. You want religion? Mingled with humor. I don't believe in them. There will be many willing to preach to you the philosophies of men mingled with humor. We are evolving. Baby steps. You can buy in this world of money. Look for the good in everything. Look for the people who will set your soul free. It always seems impossible until it's done. Look for the good in everyone. So I, I have a question. I don't know the answer to this. Um, you've been doing this longer than I have going through all of this. It, is there a way for logic and faith to coexist? All right. Welcome back to Infants on Thrones, the podcast that asks, what is it like to be an infant on a throne? And what exactly does it mean to be an infant on a throne? And are you really trying to suggest that none of us really have any of this totally figured out and there is still so much more that we don't know compared to anything that we do know? And wait a minute, does this podcast ever actually get to the point of anything or does it just ask a bunch of questions? And is there really even any point to anything or are we just all basically treading water in a sea of unanswerable questions? And if two ducks are sitting in a bathtub and one duck looks at the other duck and says, pass me the soap, and the other duck says, what do you think I am, a radio? Does that even mean anything? Yes, that podcast, Infants on Thrones. Welcome to it. I'm Glenn Osland, and this is episode 743, Confessions of a Millennial Pimo. And Pimo, by the way, in, in this case means a physically in, mentally out, 
Mormon. So maybe it should be a P-Mo-Mo. P-Mo-Mo? P-Mo-Mo. Anyway, today I'm joined by a longtime listener named Zach. Zach reached out to me about a week ago, and I'm really glad he did, because Zach has some major stuff going on, some things he just he needs to get off of his chest. This is going to sound terrible, and I, I don't want this to reflect on my character, because um, I promise you, like, I'm a good person who cares deeply about others, but, but... That's always really comforting to hear, isn't it? I'm not really a bad person, and I actually really do care about other people's health and safety, but... <laughs> Yeah, so today, you're going to get to hear all about that but. Now, it's not a big but. It's not even a disgusting but. I think it's a pretty normal, healthy, understandable but. And I'm really glad that you reached out and that we had this conversation, Zach. It was a lot of fun. And if any other of you listeners are interested in coming on and having a similar conversation, shoot me an email at infantsonthrones at gmail.com and uh, let's see what we can do. But now... With no further ado, let's go and explore Zach's normal, healthy, and understandable butt. I am embarrassingly terrible at technology for someone my age. <laughs> yeah, is that allowed? Do, do you have to return your millennial card? Yeah, probably. All right, so welcome, Zach. Thank you. What, what do you want to talk about tonight? A lot of, lot of good things. I, I, well, I appreciate you meeting with me. This, this will be fun. Yeah. Um, maybe you can help me stay on topic. That's, <laughs> I tend to meander a little bit. What's the topic? <laughs> um, I think the topic is millennial, um, physically and mentally out. I think that are would you be speaking, good. Are you speaking on behalf of all Pimo millennials. Um, is that M I, M yeah. M P M Mpimos? Mpimo, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think. I mean, I can't speak for all of them, but I I know several that feel the way I do. <laughs> all right, and what is that? Tell me, tell me. So I think it's those of us that can you hear me? Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. Okay. So I th I think it's those of us who are kind of frustrated because we feel like we've kind of got one foot in and one foot out. Mm. Um, but we're stuck in quicksand, if that makes any sense. Um, what, what, where, where's the quicksand? Is it in the foot that's in or the foot that's out? <laughs> uh, I think there's one foot in the quicksand and one foot out. That's yeah. <laughs> that's what, yeah. I know. I, but I'm asking, is the quicksand on the church side or the out of the church side, the quicksand that's pulling oh. you and dragging you and, or that are, are you really being good. pulled in both directions or are you just being pulled in one sinking in one? That is so interesting. I, you know, I, I think the quicksand represents the world. I think, you know, like real life, I'm trying to move down away from what I've been, you know, I, I like that I'm sinking, you mm. know, there's, you know, or at least maybe other people perceive it as that I'm sinking, but maybe I'm not, you know, I think that might be a good way to look at it too. Okay. So tell me, tell me what you're frustrated with. And and first of all, just tell like, give me just your general age and your background, just, you know, your whole story thing there. Okay. Yeah. So 
I'm 31. I'm from Los Angeles. Uh, moved to Tucson about almost four years ago now. So it's been a little while. And been married for nine years, two kids. Um, and then I guess you could say mentally kind of out of the church since 2016. Tried to leave in 2016. It didn't go well. So <laughs> never officially left. What is what does that mean to to that you tried to leave and it didn't go well? What was that? Experience yeah. So like I that? had, yeah. So I had a, a resignation that I submitted. Um, like it literally was in my hand and I was handing it to the the bishop and it just didn't feel right for some reason. So mm -hmm. I never actually went ahead with it. What yeah. were the reasons that you wanted to resign? Um, biggest reasons were when I found out about like the history and the like the the November policy was really mm. big for me because I yeah. have a lot of gay friends and family and mm. I was pretty appalled when I found out about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that so so that and then what which parts of the history were most troubling for you? Um I think blood atonement and then wow. just okay. yeah and and then yeah. like learning that they used to like make those things in the temple kind of like oh if you you know go against this you are going to mime killing yourself i'm like oh yeah i'm not okay with that that's kind of weird <laughs> you <Yeah>. know <laughs> so that really set me off and i had a mission that was pretty psychologically abusive so for a while i was able to distinguish the mission from the church but then when i saw parallels in the church to my mission i was like okay this isn't if that makes any sense yeah, like what were the what were the things about your mission that um, were abusive? Yeah, so I mean, basically, it it was very draconian because we had um, we had a prior administration where there was just a lot of frivolity that went on, um, and so when we got there uh, with the new president, I came in at the same time as him. That he's just like, we're just gonna rewrite and add a bunch of rules and make it really strict. So it was too strict. Like I, like I needed some medication and I was denied the medication and I had to go down to the mission office and get it for myself. Um, and even then they wouldn't give it to me. Um, so I had to just grab it and run. Uh, and then we had like zone leaders storming into our apartments and doing search and seizure, Wow, which was, yeah, on like no basis at all. And what what were nuts. the what were the parts of that that were similar to uh, your post mission church life? In terms of just what I found problematic, or yeah, yeah, you you, you said that you you had those those issues, those challenges on your mission, and you thought that you could separate the mission from the church, but then you came back and saw the church was exactly the same. Yeah, I I think more than anything, it was the just kind of the whitewashing and the not wanting to own up to stuff honestly because when i tried to mention that stuff on my mission i was gaslighted gaslit whatever the word is yeah. for it yeah um and same thing when i got home and i found this stuff everyone's like you're crazy you're anti-mormon you know i'm like well i read it on the church website so unless i'm hallucinating i'm pretty sure that's 
you know. What, what I'm, so, I, I missed something. What what was it that you saw on the church on the website? Oh, um, a lot of the issues that we were talking about. Um, I oh, blood atonement and the his, historical stuff. issues. Oh, okay. And then when I tried to bring it up, like church leaders, family, they're like, "You're crazy." That's mm-hmm. so. It's the same thing as the mission. Like I saw a problem. And then the problem was just swept under the rug. And I was like, okay, well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, so 2016, you wrote a uh, resignation letter. You were about ready to give it to your bishop, but something about it just didn't feel right. Yeah. Yeah. What, 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 I, <laughs> what was that about? Do you think? <laughs> you know, honestly, I, I still don't know. Um, I mean, it's been a while since then, not that long, but. I think I just had a feeling that my purpose was to effect positive change within the church. Um, and I had a really strong impression that I could be in the church, but not of the church. Um, mm. And so <laughs> that's where it's led me. Um, my grandma also passed away not long after that. And she essentially on her deathbed, deathbed had me promise I wouldn't take my name off but I could do whatever I wanted within reason. So um, yeah, as long as I'm not going crazy. <laughs> so do, do you feel like that's your uh, PMO mission now is to make positive changes within the church and to, to be in the church, but not of the church? Yeah. I mean, and there's still a lot of general spiritual principles that I believe I just, the organization, I feel like could use a lot of work. And I, I feel like if I, if I'm there, I'm going to tease you, Zach, are you prepared for this? Okay. I'm so prepared. Okay. All right. (laughs) So you, so, so you're going to change the organization, make positive changes with, with what needs to, (laughs) so what, what needs, what needs to change and how are you approaching this? This is, this is fascinating to me. Oh, thanks. Yeah. Um, I think the perspective is the biggest thing, um, which, I mean, I've already seen change. Like you have um, Elder Christofferson, right? He's talking about you can't be in big trouble if you support gay marriage on your Facebook, right? Um, like he's actually said that. And then we have a, a bishop um, who has in the past said, you know, what you say on social media could get you in trouble ecclesiastically. So that's an opportunity for me to kind of provide education and say, well, actually, no, that's not what the brethren have said. I think we have a generation of church leadership that's operating on stuff from the past, and they don't realize that the church has changed and made positive some positive changes. So they're kind of getting lost in the shuffle. I don't know mm-hmm. if that makes sense, but... Um, so, so basically, basically what I think you're saying is that the form of the 12, the, the, the church leadership is out of touch with the general membership, that the general membership has made some positive changes forward, but the leaders are still kind of stuck in the past. Is that what you're saying? I think so. And I, I think there's another layer too. I think the, the quorum of the 12 has a deeper understanding than the local leadership. Hmm. Um, Cause there seems to be a disconnect between what like Elder Christofferson is saying, like you can't get in trouble for being pro gay marriage or whatever, but then local leadership is saying, well, yes, you can. Um, so I, I feel like there's some gaps in training 
mm. you know? Um, and I'm not going to lie. I, I'd like to be that guy that can help fill those gaps. Um, I know I'm just one person, but um, that's kind of my little, this is what I get for playing Don Quixote in the musical Man of La Mancha. I, mm. <laughs> I'm just constantly on that mission, I guess, for better you or know, worse. I know the reference. I know that, that I, I've always understood Don Quixote tilting at windmills to be kind of like uh, Moby Dick. Um, yeah. The, the kind of quest for the white whale, you know, like this is yes. your big thing. And, and so for you, you're saying your big thing is to change the church, to, to make it more positive, especially in local leadership, to make them more tolerant. Yeah, that's the word. Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, I'd really like that. And, you know, I'm operating from a, a common consent standpoint because, and, and it frustrates me greatly because I like my great, great grandfather, no, great, great, great grandfather is W.W. Phelps. Mm -hmm. And he, he did a lot to kind of shake things up <laughs> in the early days of the church. Um, but he was a positive influence. So, I mean, he wrote like half the hymn book or something, <laughs> but yeah. um but that's kind of what I want my role to be is I want to use common consent and dissent, but that's actually a right that I have. And it's, it's frustrating when like family members are like, well, you just need to follow the prophet. And I'm like, yeah, but <laughs> like I was at BYU when president Monson said, don't take my word for it. Like he actually said that he's like, do your own research, don't take my word for it, pray about it and disagree if you feel you need to. Like, I feel like that's something that the general and local leadership doesn't really say anymore. Like that's pretty rare to hear someone say that, you know, to hear someone um, say what it's okay. If, if you disagree or oh, if right. you like the, the prophet said that it's just like, <laughs> I wish more people were aware. It was just a speech at BYU. So hmm. it's probably why, why they aren't, but yeah. Yeah. So do you feel like a lot of other millennial PMOs are in the same position that you're in um, wanting to make changes in the church instead of leaving? Yeah. And for whatever reason, most of them are gospel doctrine teachers. Yeah. Um, probably because um, they, you know, they're fairly knowledgeable of the history and the deeper doctrine. And, and so I, I see a lot of them making a positive influence that way, but I feel like, not to be too pessimistic, but a lot of us have just moved on and left, you know, um, most of my friends have left if I'm being honest, like that's kind of where, where things are at that way. Yeah. And they seem happy. That's the other thing that's, <laughs> is that, is that music in the background there? Oh yeah. Do you want me to move? Oh no, 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 no. It's fine. I, I okay. it's, it's interesting. What is it? I think that's my daughter playing uh, Book of Mormon stories on the piano. Actually, oh, that's what it's perfect. Like. <laughs> what it sounds like. <laughs> perfect. So, so what's what's your what's your home like, uh, home life like, Zach? Um, with with the changes that you want to make in the church, I'm curious how that's going just within your own home. That is such a good question. Um, <laughs> is it? <laughs> it's it's hard. I mean. I mean, I have coffee, iced coffee in the fridge mm -hmm. and my wife and I actually had a conversation about it um, last Sunday and I showed her, let me see, 
I'm all about finding loopholes, um, but not to be bad, you know, I to try and do the right things. But um, I found this and I think it was, what was it? True to the faith or gospel principles or one of those. And I read it to my wife. It says, the Lord also counseled us against the use of hot drinks. Church leaders have said that this means coffee and tea. Doesn't say anything about iced coffee. It's referring to hot drinks. Mm. Uh, so that's kind of how we've done things here is it's very nuanced. It's very gray. Some would say it's very dangerous. Um, who who got would a, say it's dangerous? Probably my in-laws. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. So, so when, when you, when you give your loophole, uh, but this coffee is iced, it's not a hot drink, right. uh, rationale to your <laughs> wife. Does, does, is that convincing to her? Does, I, I'm, I'm assuming she has concerns that there's coffee in the house, coffee in the fridge that you're drinking it. Yeah. So initially, yes. Um, once I showed her the handbook, something clicked, you know, and she's like, Oh yeah, that kind of makes sense. And that's one thing I love about my wife is that she's very open-minded kind of like I am. Mm -hmm. um, so there's a lot that we agree on where it gets complicated. Like, I mean, so for us individually as adults, like fine, the complications arise with our kids being still raised in the church. Mm -hmm. um, and mom does, you know, 99% of it. And dad does 62% on mm -hmm. a good day. You know, that's, <laughs> that's hard you know how old are your kids uh my oldest is seven and then my youngest is almost nine months mm. so you're going to be able to baptize your oldest coming up here soon that's the plan yeah yep yeah even even with the coffee in your refrigerator you're not worried about uh being denied um I'm either really good at lying or really good at mental gymnastics or both. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, this is going to sound terrible and I, I don't want this to reflect on my character. Um, cause I promise you, like I'm a good person who cares deeply about others. Okay. Um, but <laughs> this might sound like justification, but my philosophy now is with everything I know about the church, the fact that I'm still here kind of gives me a little bit of leeway. Um, and I don't feel bad. And that, that might sound kind of bad, but that's, that's where I'm at. <laughs> so so are, are you saying that as long as you stay uh, in the church, um, you know, physically in, mentally out, as long as you're physically in, you, you kind of got a pass to do pretty much whatever you want to do, because at least you're still sticking around. Is that what you're saying? Within reason. Yeah, within, I, I would add... I would add that caveat because um, for me, like coffee isn't going to hurt anybody, but like alcoholism runs in my family. So mm -hmm. I have like deep personal moral reasons for choosing to not drink. Um, and I feel like that's actually more powerful than someone that's just like, well, I don't drink alcohol because that's what my church tells me. You know, like I've again, like there's a lot to learn. I'm imperfect like everyone else, but I do feel like anything I make any choices I make are because I want to make them, you know, I'm actively choosing to make them not like this is the checklist I need to follow to get my temple recommend. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's kind of liberating, <laughs> Yeah. but maybe, maybe I'm wrong. I mean, there's always that possibility, you know? <laughs> yeah. You've been wrong about things in the past. 
right? Some pretty, pretty big things you, you recognize you've been wrong about in the past. So, uh, sure. So, so, so tell me more about your, um, your, your mission now staying in the, the reason why you're staying in physically instead of leaving is because you really want to make positive changes within the church. I, is that, do you have like a focused plan on how you want to, to do that? Or is it just kind of that's still working itself out? It's definitely something that I take day by day. Um, and some days I care about it more than others. Um, I'm an actor. So if I'm in the middle of a big show, that's where my focus goes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, um, or if I'm teaching, uh, but the show, once the show's over, you know, I devote a lot of time to like, for example, um, I, there was a 70 on, on my mission that was said a lot of really awful things. Like he wanted us to suffer like Jesus did uh, and suffer as much as Jesus did. And, mm. um, and so then we had like zone leaders, like hitting themselves with belts cause they wanted to <laughs> anyway. So he said a lot wow. of problematic things. Yeah. yeah. And so I emailed that 70 because we, we had a mutual acquaintance. I emailed him after my mission. And I'm, I'm the kind of guy that I'll do that, you know, because I'm not afraid to say what I'm thinking. And I said, hey, buddy, you know, I had to go to therapy because of some of the things you said when I was in Paraguay on my mission. And I just want you to know, like, I believe in the atonement, but I also I believe in accountability and like I've made mistakes too, but this, this was a huge mistake and it really hurt me. And I want you to know that. And he actually got back to me and he said that he was sorry and he didn't know he had hurt me and that he wanted to change. Um, and that he would make sure that things would improve in that area. Um, and since then my understanding is the, mission in Paraguay has been much better. So that was kind of my first experience with like blatantly addressing a problem and getting a positive result. It, it yeah. hasn't always gone that way, yeah. but that's kind of, again, I'm not trying to stir things up. I legitimately want to put out fires as much as I can. That's yeah. Yeah. So, so you've meant, you've talked about a couple of these fires, um, intolerance, uh, especially attitudes towards, uh, towards homosexuality, uh, homosexual yep. people. Um, what, what are some of these other fires that you'd like to, to put out? Yeah. Um, I think the, the um, way that people view women and their um, influence in the church, or especially like I grew up with a, a working mother and that was a stigma Um and it still is among amongst a lot of church members. Um, so like I was one of the people who complained to the church and said, Hey, can we maybe not have that part in the temple? It talks about like giving the woman to somebody like, let's maybe not have that. And it wasn't just me. You know, there were lots of people that said that, but because of that, they removed it. Um, so sexism, I think, is another issue that I really am not okay with. Mm -hmm. um, I'm a feminist. <laughs> yeah. So, so so you see that that's moving in a positive direction. I think 
and this might sound like apostasy, so I always have to put that disclaimer, but I think women will get the priesthood before gay marriage is okay in the church. That's my prediction. Mm. I might be wrong, but I could see that. What kind of so. a time frame do you do you expect for, for both of those? Man. Um huh. Let's see. So nineteen seventy-eight for priesthood change with that. I'm terrible at math. Um, at the rate things are going, where like 30% of my generation is active. I think that's the statistic somewhere around there. Mm. Um, I could see women getting the priesthood in 10 years minimum. Yeah. Um, gay marriage will probably take longer. I don't know if that one will even happen just because like I've talked about it with some of my gay friends and family and they've okayed me to say this, but they, for them, the answer is just leaving the church, which I'd probably do the same thing, you know, cause why wait, you know, you got your whole life ahead of you, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, but shoot, I don't know. I mean, maybe 30, 20 years for that one. I'm just being realistic, but yeah. So in 2016, you came close to resigning, you decided to stay in and it's been five years pretty much since, since that happened. How has the last five years been? Are you, are you glad that you stayed in? Do you have any regrets? Every now and then. Yeah. I mean, I'm kind of caught between a rock and a hard place right, right here. And the, the marriage situation kind of makes it that way. Um, Cause if I left, it would be even more of a strain. Um, but I, at the same time, you know, like I have a happy marriage, so that's good. And then I, I wonder, I don't know, but I wonder if maybe things would have been harder if I had left, you know, cause my staying gives me some credibility and it gives me some opportunities to serve, which it could be argued. I've had, I would have those if I left anyway, but there would be a lot more broken family relationships if I totally left. So it's a, what do you call it? A cost benefit analysis, like which <laughs> pick your poison, you know? <laughs> yeah. But, but so like on a scale of one to 10 um, and, and 10 is like, you're completely happy and satisfied with where you are in your life right now. Zero is like, I got to make an immediate change today. Mm. Wh where would you put yourself? Hmm. I would probably give it a six. A six? Yeah. Like I, I go to church and I find some fulfillment. Mm -hmm. I conduct our choir. That's really fun. Um, there have even been a couple gospel doctrine and elders quorum lessons where I've made a comment and people have been like, wow, that's really interesting, you know, and maybe it's helped. And then I've even heard things that I've been like, I like that, mm -hmm. you know? And then I've heard other things where I'm like, okay, and I'm going to go home early today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so, Yeah. So, so a, a lot of that um, contentment or miscontentment that you have, discontentment that you have hmm. being at church has to do with um, the types of things that other people are talking about and whether you agree with them or you disagree with them, whether you like them or you don't like them. And if it, if it's something that really rubs you the wrong way, you'll say, I got to go. I, I'm going to re remove myself from this place. 
Yeah. And I haven't done it as much over the last couple of years. And so that's, you know, um, progress. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, ironically, if I'm at church and I feel the spirit leave, yeah. <laughs> then I'll leave too. Yeah. Um, and it's funny, like with my, my in-laws, cause we've had some, our own issues cause they're a lot more TBM, love them to death. Um, but if I leave the room at all, they'll turn to my wife and they'll be like, did we, did we say something wrong? Like, <laughs> and they usually haven't, I just kind of come and go. Hmm. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> yeah. So, so with you feeling at this level of kind of six in your yeah. satisfaction and contentment with the way things are going right now, what, what, what things um, would help you move that dial up to seven and eight and nine and heaven forbid 10? Hmm. Uh, remind me, is a 10 good or bad? 10 is good. T 10 is, I love my life. I wouldn't change a thing. Um, okay. Everything's awesome. Zero is, this, this sucks. I got to make changes immediately. Okay. That's what I thought. <laughs> Just making sure. Um, I, I think, well, this is a cop out, uh, but it's, it's always the right answer. Um, listening to my wife is like the number one smartest choice to make. Um, you know, and, and listening to her spiritual viewpoints and perspectives, which sometimes disagree with mine, learning from other people in and out of the church, being willing to embrace things that maybe I'm uncomfortable with just a little bit. Um, I think that'll move the dial. We were in Ogden for my brother's wedding a couple weeks ago, and I call this an Aunt Marge situation. From mm -hmm. did, did you see the Harry Potter movies or the mm -hmm. yeah? So remember the third one with the aunt that just comes in and she's just like yeah super yeah yeah. We had a situation like that um, when I was home or not home uh, with family in Ogden, and it I chose to take the high ground and didn't react. And then later, because uh, she was saying all kinds of incredibly terrible things. But later I actually talked with her at the wedding and got to know her as a human being and learned some cool things from her because she does music like I do. And we bonded, which was mm -hmm. so interesting. And if I had just dismissed her entirely, I would have missed out on that experience. Um, so I think that'll make the dial move up to 10. Well, maybe not 10 yet, but maybe an eight, you know, <laughs> listening to other human beings, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you you started with your wife, and that, that that's really cool, really sweet that you recognize that she she sees things differently than you do, and that yeah. in, involves spirituality, spiritual things as well. And so instead of just being dismissive and going, "Oh no, you need to see things my way," you're saying, I, "I'll listen more, and I'll 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 go along. I'll be accepting of these differences." And and so you started with your wife, and you said, "I think I could make that." change with with other people learning both inside and outside of the church and really just doing what it sounds like you're describing is just inner work yeah yeah to, to move you from you. a six to a ten which doesn't have anything to do with this mission of trying to change the church you're you're changing yourself to make it easier for you to be around people like aunt marge and to, <laughs> to 
to find the things that you have in common with them and let that be the foundation of your relationship with them rather than the differences. That's cool, Zach. Thank you. I like that. Thanks. Well, it's hard, but I, I think it's worth it, you know, yeah. and I, there is so much division in the world and in the church, actually, um, different types of church members that don't, you know, agree. And I, yeah, I mean, I felt a glimmer of hope and a little bit of peace in that situation. And I, I'd like to get more of that. Yeah. That'd be really good. Yeah. I, you, you, you may know I'm in a, a master's degree program right now. I'm getting a, a master's in clinical mental health counseling. And a couple of weeks cool. ago, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, <laughs> it's cool. Um, a, a couple of weeks ago, we were, the, the class I was in, we were studying different theories. And one of them, I think it's called choice theory or reality theory. It was created by a guy, I could be getting this wrong. I think his name is William Glasser. But he, he was trying to explain to people that the, the, the beliefs and the expectations that you carry are going to color the experience that you have of life. And if you're wanting to find more peace of mind, then it's really important to know how to get that. And, mm -hmm. and he talked about um, this thing called external control psychology. And he basically said, if you're trying to, to change other people or change the world, or you're blaming things on other people and other world, uh, you're really missing the point because you can't change them. You can change yourself. And so he, he would say things, I am, I'm reading this right here. Um, if, if at any way you have this belief that my behavior is controlled by external forces, or I can make other people do what I want them to do and they can do the same for me, or even it's my obligation to punish and reward others depending on whether they meet my standards for behavior. Like, yeah. I think that's a, those are such pervasive beliefs that a lot of us kind of carry around. And I remember my time in the church, I mean, going out and being a missionary, it was all about changing the world. It's all external right. control psychology. And if I did something wrong, I'd get punished. If I did something good, I'd get rewarded for that positive reinforcement. And so William Glasser came up, he, he was, he was kind of riffing off of um, Covey's seven habits of highly effective people. Mm -hmm. And he went the opposite way. He said, these are seven deadly habits of external control Ooh. psychology. And so if you recognize that you're doing any of these things, then you're actually creating division instead of like self healing or, or, however you want to put that. So the seven deadly habits of external control psychology are criticizing, blaming, complaining, nagging, threatening, punishing, and bribing. Hmm. And he said, if, if instead of doing any of those things, you know, a lot of these will be habits that have just developed over time and we might not even realize that we're doing it, but if we can raise our awareness and replace those with what he calls the seven caring habits, we'll have more peace in our lives and maybe move the dial from a six to a seven or an eight or a nine or even a 10. And the Whoa. seven caring habits are supporting, encouraging, listening, accepting, trusting, respecting, and negotiating differences. And so as I was listening to you talk about 
your wife and Aunt Marge and, you know, what you would do to move that dial. I heard you leaning into these seven caring habits, Zach. Nice. Like I would listen to her. I would support her. I, I would accept her, you know, <laughs> I'd respect her. I'd trust her. I'd negotiate differences. Um, so way to go. Validation for you, Zach. Thank you. <laughs> well, the more of that, those are great, by the way. I, I'd like to learn more about those. The more yeah. I can do that, or the more anyone can do that, I think the happier they're going to be, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And That's if we cool. could get the whole church to do it. <laughs> okay, now I'm going into the external <laughs> control psychology. And it, it's, it's weird because this podcast, Infants on Thrones, was built on... <laughs> criticizing and complaining, you know, we would do all these smackdowns and mm -hmm. just really uh, ripping things apart. And now I'm looking at it going, ah, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd much rather develop those seven caring habits than the seven deadly habits of external control psychology. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it definitely feels, feels good to, you know, to have those, those virtues and those values. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, what I've struggled with just cards on the table, because you talk about, you know, education and mm -hmm. that's a really important part of my life. You know, I've been to law school and I've been taught how to see the world from a certain, through a certain lens, yeah. um, logic. So when people aren't using logic, it's like, I, and this is when I backslide um, or anyone that has any experience that's of value to them, they probably backslide in a similar way. Like, well, I'm educated and I know this and you don't, so I'm right. Like it's, mm -hmm. it is easy to backslide into that. Um, especially, you know, like talking about the common consent, you know, when I'm like, well, there's this doctrine, you can da 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 And someone's like, well, just follow the prophet. I'm like, <laughs> you know, and, or, or for example, with Wait, the hang, hang, hang yeah. on a second though. Let's not move on from that. If somebody okay. says, just follow the prophet and you like roll your eyes, you're thinking that's not logical. They're not using good logic, <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Why is that hard for you? <sighs> I mean, it, it feels, it feels like it's those, those primary answers, right? I mean, there's even a song, follow the prophet. Right. It feels like there's not any, mental heavy lifting that has to go into that or any actual personal decision. It's just, well, this is what I'm told, you know? And so, and so why does it bother you if someone else is not doing the heavy intellectual lifting and using logic? Um, how, how does that, how does that impact you in a way that it just frustrates you and, and makes you backslide? Yeah. I, I think it makes me feel sad for them because like, I'm not trying to say that I'm intellectually superior. I mean, sure, I might feel that way, but I don't mean to say it. Um, but I, I feel like <laughs> feel like they could be happier, you know, with a more broad perspective. And I don't know. I I don't like it when someone looks at my view of the world and they're like, "Well, you're just misinformed. You're just." you know, you've lost your testimony or you need to stop looking at porn or like, you know, all the things that people will say, members of the church, when they hear something from someone else that they don't like, that's absolutely true. <laughs> you know, it's like, I, I feel like people go to those primary answers because they don't want to look at things logically. It's not that they can't. I think it's just they don't want to. It's willful ignorance, you know. Why, why do you think they don't want to? 
it's uncomfortable. I mean, my, my parents, bless their hearts, they read the church essays um, about a year and a half after my faith crisis. And they're like, oh, you, you were right about all of this. And I'm just like, yeah, I could have told you that a year and a half ago, <laughs> but, um, and it would have spared us a lot of heartache. But um, so I guess that's just my frustration is I don't, I'm not trying to rub anything in anyone's face, but I do feel like, like if you're going to drive a car, you should read the owner's manual. And I think there's a lot of church members that are driving the car and they're like, isn't this a great car? Oh, it crashed. Okay. Well, let's keep, let's try and drive, you know, like I read the manual. If you're going to own a car, you know, like do your homework. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I, 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 I would imagine that a lot of these people, so, so there, there's several things that I was thinking as, as you were talking yeah. about this, Zach, first, first is, you don't like it when people do to you what you're doing to them. Right. You don't, you yes. don't like it when people come <laughs> at you and say the position that I hold is superior to the position that you hold. And I'm going to judge you because I'm in a superior position. And you're right. saying, no, I'm in a superior position because logic beats faith. You're like, well, no, no, no. Faith beats logic. And you're saying, no, read mm. the, read the, read the user manual here. This is the, the user <laughs> manual on logic. And they're like, Hey, you read the user manual on faith. And they hand you the book of Mormon and the DNC and stuff. <laughs> and, and so it's, and, and they're saying, okay, well, why is it that you want Zach to come back to church? Because I think he would be happier if he was there. Mm. Why? Because I am. Yeah. And, and you're doing that to them. You're, you're saying, Oh, you just don't know what you don't know. And if you did know, then you'd be a lot happier, but why, why, you know? Yeah. It's the same. You're right. Yeah. Is there, so I, I have a question. I don't know the answer to this. Mm. Um, you've been doing this longer than I have going through all of this. It, is there a way for logic and faith to coexist? I think so. Hmm. I, I think I'm quite a logical and faithful person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. How do you do that? Like, I don't know how. Well, the, the way that I've done it is I've come to, uh, so my, the, the faith that I have on everything is that everything is incomplete. We interrupt this podcast to bring you a brief snippet of dialogue between Joe Rogan and physicist Brian Greene. But like you said, as long as it's not conflicting with rigid scientific reality, yeah, like right. scientific, provable scientific reality. Yeah. And I got to tell you, it's a funny thing. You know, Richard Dawkins, I don't know. Have you had, had, had him on yeah, the program? Yeah. yeah. So, so, so you know that his... Um, his M.O. in the world is very anti-religious. I, yes. I, I think he would agree with me on that. I don't want to put words into his mouth. Um, but um, I did an event with him in New York, uh, uh, the Beacon Theater. I, I don't know. It was maybe a year ago or something like that. And it was very interesting because in a one-on-one -on -one conversation, his views were very similar to to mine, I, I felt, I mean, look, we don't agree in totality, but I was saying to him, there are times I go around the world and I will do things that are utterly irrational. I'll knock on wood for good luck. I'll speak to my dead father. 
I know that he's not really there. I'll pray to God on occasion if I think that I could use that backup. Not because I think there's some bearded individual in the sky. It's just a behavioral tendency that I find to be comforting and useful. And I said this to Richard. And he said, I totally get it. I was like, what? He was like, I totally get it. He said, he said in fact, he said, I don't like to sleep in a house that has a reputation as being haunted. <laughs> <laughs> you know? You know? And, and, and for me, it was such a beautiful human moment. It was such a beautiful human moment where we were just like being human beings. Right. And, and, he, said, and then he said, we're both sinners. And I agree. We are yeah. both sinners in that sense <laughs> because we know how the world works. We know this doesn't make any sense. And yes, it's still part of somehow uh, how we behave in the world. And I think there's a value to recognizing that that is what it means to be human. You will engage in the world in ways that are not necessarily strictly adhering to some rational perspective of how the scientific world operates. I would love to see Richard Dawkins outside of a haunted house yeah, saying, right. I'm not going in yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you know. Uh, uh. Uh. Yeah. So, so you know, um, it's all just to say that I kind of feel like there are many pathways toward insight in the world. There are many ways to live a life. Mm -hmm. There are many ways to come to terms with our own impermanence. And it's not as though something is right or something is wrong. It's a question of, is it useful to you? And I think that we have to be very open-minded in the kinds of behaviors that um, uh, that we allow to happen in the world, you know, um, you know, even Ramta, it's nutty stuff. Yeah. But if some of those individuals who go there find that it allows them to live in the world in a more productive way, alleviating anxiety, feeling like they're on a spiritual quest, mm -hmm. so be it. Yeah, know? that's the thing that some, I mean, it's hard for people to understand if you're not in that space, that headspace that they are. You don't need this structure but for some people even scientology or something along those lines it seems loopy on paper can provide them with yeah. legitimate structure and and benefit their lives yeah. in a tangible way that they could describe to you yeah exactly and, and my feeling is that um if there was and i don't know this to be the case and maybe some biologists will push back on this but if there was a a race of for want of a better word you know, Vulcan-like individuals who approach the world in a completely rational manner, evaluating the data, figuring out the most sensible course of action, competing against a crazy group of individuals like us who will come up with wild fictional ideas, gods in the heavens, you know, uh, demons haunting the world. I think it's the latter group that ultimately would triumph. Because with that kind of freedom of thought, you get novelty, yes. you get ingenuity, you get creativity. And so I feel as though this is part and parcel of who we are and why we have survived. And to sort of come at the world with a, a scientific club that's meant to smash away anything that disagrees with the scientific worldview is an unfortunate way of, of looking at the world. Yeah, there's something about creativity that it doesn't necessarily have to abide by any laws of logic yeah. and it can still be beneficial. Yeah, and, 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 and that's why yeah. it's so stunning right. when somebody comes up with something. It's like, where did that come from? It right. didn't come from a rational 
approach to working out, you know, Brahms' Third Symphony. Mm -hmm. It emerged from the churning emotions of an individual who happens to be made up of trillions of particles guided by physical law, responding to the environment, which is impinging his senses with an incredible array of influences. And through that whirl emerges this spectacular piece of music. Mm. That's breathtaking. Yeah. Utterly breathtaking. Yeah, and it's amazing what that music can inspire yeah. as it reaches out to you know X amount of people and then causes different thoughts in their mind. Yeah, and then that causes in turn another branch of creativity, another another yeah, yeah. new line of thinking that they might have ever never pursued before. Yeah, and that to me establishes that the notion that language is the only way that we can know about the world. You know, Wittgenstein had this mm -hmm. perspective that the limits of my language, limits of my world, that seems to me utterly wrong. I mean, the experience of music or the experience of cogitating about the world but not trying to overlay a narrative upon it, just feeling your way into reality, to truly engage with the world you have to use a variety of stories. We're fundamentally storytellers. That's what human beings are. Now, there's the reductionist story that physicists are well-equipped to talk about with particles and laws of physics. On top of that, you've got the chemist story, the complex molecules. You've got the biologist story that begins to talk about cells and life. You've got the psychological story, the neurophysiological story that brings a mind and consciousness. And within that, you then have all of the activities that conscious beings undertake, which includes religion and includes telling other kinds of stories and includes creative expression. You need them all. And to sort of say that the scientific account is the only account by which you're ever going to gain true qualities of the world is a very, in my view, limited description of what truth is. There is objective truth in the world that we can measure, that we can describe with equations and so forth. But there's also internal truth, spiritual truth that you get to by self-examination. It's real in the sense that you're understanding how you respond to the world. And that is something which is deeply personal but utterly real. And whether it's through psychedelics, whether it's through ayahuasca, whether it's through a spiritual journey, whether it's through religion, regardless, all of this adds color to the story of what it means to be a human being. What it means to be a human being. So I, I have a question. I don't know the answer to this. Um, you've been doing this longer than I have going through all of this. It is there a way for logic and faith to coexist? I think so. Hmm. I, I think I'm quite a logical and faithful person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> cool. How do you do that? Like, I don't know how. Well, the, the way that I've done it is I've come to, uh, so my, the, the faith that I have on everything is that everything is incomplete. Any, you know, so if, if you think that logic is the user manual and that's the way to go and that's all you need, I'm going to call bullshit on that. Mm. You know, it's, it's got a place. There's times where it's superior. There's probably times where it's not. Um, there's times where it needs to be supplemented by other things. But I, I, I think every single person, every single person born into this world um, in a state of innocence, they haven't harmed anybody um, they're, I, they're not like a total blank slate because, you know, you've got your genetics, your DNA, you know, you, you've got certain things that are hardwired into you, but mm -hmm. we're, we all come in at this place of 
relative innocence. And then we're taught that's not the way, this is the way. And it doesn't matter what system it is. It's incomplete. It's, it's not totally correct. It, we're, you're misled from the point that you're brought up. And it doesn't matter if you're raised a Mormon or what. <laughs> yeah. Everybody is raised within a system um, that, that is a worldview. It's a belief system. And there's things that you just believe because you just believe it. And then when you grow up, you go, wait a minute, there's more to it than that. This isn't exactly what I thought it was. And yeah. so, and, and even our best scientists are constantly updating information as they get new, better data. And hmm. how do they get the new, better data with logic and the, this, this precise scientific method of investigation and comparison and peer review. And you still, I mean, just scientists disagree with the interpretation of data all the time, you know, so there's still a lot of wiggle room in there. Not, no story that's been put forth is a complete whole story of anything. Yeah. That's just logic. So why am I going to attach any certainty or a high degree of certainty to things that I know can change when there's better data that comes in? And especially if I find myself arguing with somebody else because um, you don't see it the way that I do. Well, it would not be logical <laughs> for right. them to see things the way that I do because they're a different person. They've, they've had completely different experiences in their lives. Nobody's had the same experience in their life that I have. So why mm -hmm. would I expect somebody to see things the way that I do? Um, so I, I, I think, I, I also think doing a lot of inner work and really investigating what are, what's the motivation? Like, why is it hmm. that I want to change the church? Why is it that I want to change other people? Um, because I don't like it when they judge me. Why, why is it that I don't like it when they judge me? Because then I feel like I'm not accepted. Mm -hmm. Why does it matter to you if you're accepted or not? Do, are, do, are you confident enough in yourself that you can be rejected by everybody else and still feel valuable? Or do you have those kinds of insecurities and self-limiting thoughts and doubts that everybody has, we all do. <laughs> yeah. Are we denying that we have those and pretending that they're not there and just turning the other way? And, uh, or, or are we facing, learning about them, facing them head on and doing that, that inner work? So to me, that's where, that's where logic and faith <laughs> combined. Or it, it, that, that's how I've attempted to do it. I like that. Thank you. Yeah. Well, and it's, here's the other interesting thing. I mean, you know, you mentioned when I was in, in the past, I made some mistakes, you know, like I always thought the church was the true church for most of my life. But then according to the narrative I'm living now, I was wrong then. So I've been wrong about things before. Um, so you're there's always wrong. You're just as wrong now about what you believe as you were then. Yes. Yes. I agree. Well, and the other thing, and this, my wife and I have talked about this a lot. Um, we both really like the Prophet of the Restoration film. Um, I know the actor that played young Joseph Smith. I ran into him a lot. We were at the Fine Arts Building at BYU and um, saw him a couple times. And it's, it's a well-made film. And when 
ever I've watched it, I felt a really powerful spirit. And yet logically I know I'm like, but Joseph Smith destroyed a printing press that wasn't in the movie, <laughs> you know, but, but I still feel really positive when I'm watching it and that I, I still don't know why that is. It's an interesting, you know, kind of conflict of emotions there, you know? Well, you've, you've got genetic material in your body that goes back to W.W. Phelps. You know? Yep. How, how connected are you into um, Mormonism? I mean, it, it has been such a big part of your life and your family uh, for generations. So seeing, seeing a movie that is celebrating that and putting it in, framing it in the, in the, the best light, the most faith-promoting, inspirational light, even though as, as an actor being involved in theater, you can see the manipulation that goes on with oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, the, the, the music choices and the, you know, just like di di diff different tones of voice, you know, the, 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 what the actor brings to the performance and, you know, it, it's manipulating emotions, but yeah. you're comfortable with those manipul uh, emotions being manipulated in that way because it's your heritage, it's your people and you love it and you want to love it. And so even mm -hmm. though you, you can recognize, oh, well, there's some flaws in there because this didn't actually happen that way. And this happened, they didn't say anything about that. You know, what, what, what's the purpose of that movie? The purpose of that movie is to have Mormons feel good about being Mormon. And what was the purpose of what Joseph Smith was doing when he was starting that church? What do you, yeah. what do you think that was? What, what, what do you Honest think the allure was to all these early Mormons, like your ancestors and my ancestors that flocked? To this thing i think it made them feel good why i mean it answered some questions that they couldn't find answers to elsewhere um and there was such a focus on service um and family and i mean that appeals to like what most people care about you know so yeah and and the 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 thought and the belief that the heavens are not closed but they're open Mm -hmm. And that, that God has a prophet on the planet this day and actually God's active in communicating and you can have this direct experience yourself. Mm -hmm. um, I think those were huge factors in exciting people and bringing in it. And then of course you've got all these human external control psychology things going on where the, the, the leadership and the hierarchy, like, well, we've got to maintain control. We've got to Brigham Young this stuff. And, you know, <laughs> and, and then kind of shuts down some of those things, I think, um, that excited people in the first place or disguises it by teaching conditional love as unconditional love and, you know, things like that. Did, did, when, when you were looking into blood atonement, did you ever come across, I don't remember which, uh, what what now i can't even remember the name those though there's this collection of works that brigham young preached from the pulpit there's like hundreds of them in this volume and i can't remember what it's called oh is that journal of discourses that's it yeah journal okay. of discourses cool and if if memory serves this is around like 245 or 244 it's 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 somewhere in there but brigham young's giving this lecture about blood atonement, where he says that when Christ said, 
um, what was it? Something like love your neighbor as yourself. That mm-hmm. the highest form of love is keeping in mind that there are some sins that are so grievous that the atonement will not cover them. That the yeah. only thing that will atone is that person's blood being spilled. And so when Jesus said, will you love your neighbor as yourself? What he really meant was, are you, would you be willing to kill them if they had committed that grievous of a sin? Would you be willing to, to spill their blood? It's something like that. It's been a long time since I've gone in and looked at that. We interrupt this podcast for a dramatized reading of Brigham Young on Blood Atonement, taken from the Journal of Discourses, performed by me. You have to have a real love in your heart to do this for people. Susan Atkins, telling Virginia Graham why she stabbed Sharon Tate. So what I'm going to read to you today is something that Brigham Young delivered as a, it was February 8th, 1857. Anyway, so here's the, uh, here, here's the Journal of Discourse. It's volume four. Uh, it's pages 215 to 221. And let's just jump right into it. Brother Cummings told you the truth this morning with regard to the sins of the people. And I will say that the time will come and is now nigh at hand when those who profess our faith if they are guilty of what some of this people are guilty of, will find the axe laid at the root of the tree, and they will be hewn down. For it is one of the laws of that kingdom where our Father dwells, that if a man was found guilty of adultery, he must have his blood shed, and that is near at hand. When will we love our neighbors as ourselves? It is admitted by all that every person loves himself. Now, if we do rightly love ourselves, we want to be saved and continue to exist. We want to go into the kingdom where we can enjoy eternity and see no more sorrow or death. This is the desire of every person who believes in God. Now, take a person in this congregation who has knowledge with regard to being saved in the kingdom of our God and our Father and being exalted, one who knows and understands the principles of eternal life and sees the beauty and excellency in the eternities before him compared with the vain and foolish things of the world, and suppose that he is overtaken in a gross fault that he has committed a sin that he knows will deprive him of that exaltation which he desires, and that he cannot attain to it without the shedding of his blood, and also knows that by having his blood shed, he will atone for that sin and be saved and exalted with the gods. Is there a man or woman in this house but would say, shed my blood that I may be saved and exalted with the gods? Let these principles be known by an individual, and he would be glad to have his blood shed. That would be loving themselves, even unto an eternal exaltation. Will you love your brothers and sisters likewise, when they have committed a sin that cannot be atoned for without the shedding of their blood? Will you love that man or woman well enough to shed their blood? I could refer you to plenty of instances where men have been righteously slain in order to atone for their sins. I've seen scores and hundreds of people for whom there would have been a change in the last resurrection there will be if their lives had been taken and their blood spilled on the ground as a smoking incense to the Almighty 
but who are now angels to the devil. I've known a great many men who have left this church for whom there is no chance whatever for exaltation, but if their blood had been spilled, it would have been better for them. The wickedness and ignorance of the nations forbid this principle's being in full force, but the time will come when the law of God will be in full force. This is loving our neighbors as ourselves. If he needs help, help him. And if he wants salvation and it is necessary to spill his blood on the earth in order that he may be saved, spill it. That is the way to love mankind. But when I saw that, I was like, holy cow, how far from the original spirit of, of the message can you get to, to love your neighbor to now we're talking about killing them because they've committed yeah. a sin that only their death can atone for. That's messed up. It's yeah, really kinda. messed up. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. And so things like this crept in to, to the organization, but it's still, I think when you don't know those kinds of things and it's been a long time since I've been in your shoes, Zach, you know, and, mm -hmm. but, but I, I remember there were a lot of things that I really loved about being Mormon. There were a lot of messages that I really loved, a lot of doctrines that I really loved. And I just wanted it to be everything that I loved and none of the stuff that I didn't love. <laughs> right, and I, right. And I couldn't make that happen. And I, I, I got so triggered so many times at church. I just didn't want to be there anymore. Yeah. But, you know, maybe if I had done more work on myself and if I saw a real value in being there, I could have stayed and made it work. I don't know. But I don't really have any regrets on what I've done. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. I mean, we're all on our own journey, right? And, yeah. Um, and like you were saying, like we're all coming from different places and we don't know what other people are going through. And I, I wonder... I, I mean, we're talking about our experiences, but I wonder with other folks, you know, dep depends on the generation. I mean, you can take the millennial generation or um, what is it? Gen Z. Is that the one after my generation? Yeah, I like yeah. iGen better than Gen Z, but yeah, uh, that's, uh, I, I, I like that name for it. My daughters yeah, don't like that. <laughs> I don't like it either. I've, yeah. It, it's it's too much like uh, um, Steve Jobsifying everything. We're gonna like yeah. make an, an iPhone and an iPad and an iGeneration. No, <laughs> don't want to do that. No, don't. But is there is there hope for? I mean, is there a place? I'm asking questions that I don't know the answer to. I don't know if anyone does. But is there a place for those folks, especially ones that are, you know? I like, there's literally nothing I could do to physically leave the church. Right. Like I promised my grandma before she died. So if I broke that promise, she'd probably come back and haunt me or I, I don't know. Um, actually she would. I, I know she would for a fact. <laughs> one way, one way to way. find out. <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's the question that keeps me up at night. And I'm sure it keeps a lot of people up. Like, is this worth it? Like whatever decision, that has been made, whether it's to stay or to leave or to leave physically, but stay mentally or vice versa, leave mentally and stay physically. Like what, what, I mean, we've talked about helping others. I, I wonder what personal value 
or what there is to be gained from being in the church, just, just kind of being along for the ride, you know, cause I'm not an active participant. I'm very much kind of just along for the ride. Um, well, so we, we, we talked before about this 10 point scale and you said that you felt like you were at a six and I asked you, you know, what, what are some things that you could do to move the dial up? And it was yeah. all about you becoming more accepting of people around you and more interested in people around you, meeting them where they are yeah. instead of where you think they should be. Um, and so I, I think, I think the answer to your question is somewhere in there, hmm. you know, at, at, can, can you, can you uh, stay in the church and genuinely love being where you are and love all of the people that you're around, all of the differences of opinion, all of the Aunt Marges, all of those 70s that are going to say things because you're, it, it really is like you're Daniel in the lion's den and you're surrounding yourself with these things that are huge triggers for you. Yeah. And are you doing that because you want to work on your own reactions and responses so that you won't be triggered by those things and you can just be a very loving person and accepting person and and serve uh, in this this community, this organization, this heritage that you were born into, that you've got mm-hmm. you know generations behind you, and it's important for you to stay in. So you're willing to let go of some of those things that bug you about how it is and just accept it how it is. Um, if, if you're using the church as a, as an arena (laughs) (laughs) to do your inner work and to say, all all of these people are mirrors for me. Everything, everybody that you see, that you're judging, just like you did earlier when, when you said, I don't like it when they look at me and they judge me. Yeah. That's really you saying, I don't like it when I look at them and judge them. The, the, ah. the, when, when you're using your reactions to other people as a way to better understand yourself, that reaction didn't come from them. It came from hmm. you. It bubbled up from, from your unconscious. And so if, if you can look at those times when you're triggered, and go, oh, okay, I've still got some work to do in this area. And you can choose, I'm going to stay in here and keep working on this, or this is too much for me. And I can't mentally, emotionally do this and maintain my health and sanity. You know, then you've got that decision to make. But I, I, think, it's, I think it's possible because I'm sure that there's a lot of people who do that, whether they're doing it mm-hmm. um, intentionally or intuitively. <laughs> Yeah. They're, they're staying, they're staying in and they're, they're just working on their own ability to really be Christ-like, to really be yeah. loving, um, to, to really embody all of those things that they actually do love about the church. Even when they see the Zoramites standing up on their Ramiamptum with their fine clothes and yeah. decrying all of the other Zoramites who stand up on their Ramiamptums in their fine clothes. And you're like, that's, that's hypocrisy. Okay. That's like the issue right there. (laughs) You know, it's, it's, I think there's a parable, something about uh, removing the beam from your own eye before you take the mode out of your brothers or something, or one of those things. 
Yeah. That's, that's what it is. It's, it's recognizing, okay, this is me and my reaction, my response to stuff. I'll, I'll work on changing it and really being just the coolest, most loving, uh, encouraging, supporting person I can, can be. And, you know, remember with those seven caring habits, I'm going to read them again. Yeah. Yeah. Please supporting, encouraging, listening, accepting, trusting, respecting. And this part, you can't forget negotiating differences because when I talk with people and they're like, Oh, so you're just going to become a doormat and you're going to let people walk all over you. No, that's not what this means. You don't just, you, you stand up for yourself. You be honest, you be true, but you do it from a place of understanding and kindness and compassion as much as possible. And when there are differences, you negotiate a resolution to those differences. And maybe the, the resolution, the only thing that you have available is I'm leaving. I'm getting out of here. I tried. It didn't work. I'm out. But you yeah. don't have to. You don't have to go out criticizing, blaming, complaining, nagging, threatening, punishing, and bribing, and doing stuff that I did <laughs> like that. You, know? mm-hmm. you don't have to do it that way, but it, you can, and a lot of people do, and it's fine. And that's another way of doing inner work, <laughs> either yeah, intentionally yeah. or intuitively, consciously or unconsciously. Well, I must have sent literally hundreds of emails to my poor family um, <laughs> during that time where there was a faith crisis. I'm yeah. like, hey, here's the CES letter. And you, right. like, not, I, I, I do regret some of the things that I've said. And, um, but looking forward, one, one other piece that I think is really important is I look at my kids mm-hmm. and the world that they're growing up in, which um, it's, it's just kind of a shitty world in some ways um, and a wonderful world in others. Um, but I, I think that the gospel can help them, you know, and um, my dad and I have had a lot of conversations where we've disagreed over many things. Um, but one thing that we do agree on is that the church is a helpful place for my daughter um, and for my son, you know, once he's a little older, um, I mean, they, they have a lot of great mentors and a lot of really great examples. And I would rather my kids be in that situation, um, you know, singing popcorn, popping on the whatever. I'd mm-hmm. rather have that, like maybe it's a little bit, you know, brainwashing. I'd rather have that than what I saw in my hometown, you know, kids who didn't go to church at all. And they made a lot of really interesting choices that really weren't good. You know, like where I'm from, you know, we had kids doing like cocaine and like just incredible, terrible things. And I I hate the stigma where it's like, Oh, you left the church because you want to sin. You know, like, I don't believe that's true. But I think if people don't have a spiritual lifeline at all, it is more likely that they're just going to do whatever, you know? Mm-hmm. And so as long as the church is there for my kids and it's helping them, which it is, then it's serving a good purpose, you know? So yeah, anyone that gets anything good from that, I mean, that's, that's a win, I think. <laughs> yeah. What, what if your kids grow up in the church and decide to do cocaine anyway? Then I'll be really pissed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, man, I, 
well, my first question would be, where did you get the cocaine? Um, but yeah, yeah, uh, that's, I, God, I hope not. Um, sorry, I'm processing that now as a parent, (laughs) like that's a, that's a nightmare scenario. Um, I don't know. I mean, in, in all seriousness, I mean, it's kind of like what, like Lehigh and then Lehman and Lemuel, like he did all he could to instill goodness in them. Um, and I feel like Lehigh was the kind of guy who maybe used external sources and wasn't just like, okay, here's the scriptures and we're going to bury our faces in the scriptures all day. Like, I mean, he had a, a freaking vision, you know, where he's like, Oh, I had this personal thing that I want to share with you. Like, um, so he, he used all spiritual ways of influencing his kids and they still screwed up. So yeah. I think, I think, I, I think yeah. there's a story about uh, God losing a third of his children. And he was probably a pretty good parent in the pre-mortal existence. Oh yeah, that did happen. He, That's he true. probably raised them in the church in the pre-mortal existence. And they just, a third of them were like, no, not for us. That's not good numbers, actually. No. Hmm. That's pretty bad. Yeah. So, yeah. so maybe, maybe God is a failure then, or maybe it's all good and everybody's on their path. And whether we look at it and go, Oh, that's a bad path or a good path. It's still something that they're learning from and they're going to work out their stuff. And, yeah. And it's just about being like you said, the gospel can be really helpful to people, but like, how do you, how are you defining the gospel is, is the gospel because I, I, I boiled down the, the story of the atonement to this. God says it's okay. God, God says your sins are not going to prevent you from being in my presence and being with me. I'll take them. I'll take that away from you. And that's what the story of the atonement is. But, yeah. but, but then there's all of these conditions that are put on it because of fear. Well, it'll only be taken away from you if you're baptized by the person that has the right authority to do it. Um, and no hairs float up while that ordinance is happening. And it, it, then you've got to always be doing the good things because if you do anything bad, then you've invalidated it. Um, but you can take the sacrament and that cleanses you again. But if you do anything bad again, you're uncleansed. And that seems to me to be taking away from what the message of the gospel is <laughs> and that, yeah. you know, that one of the big differences between Mormons and Christians in general is this idea of grace being free versus something that you have to earn. And I, mm-hmm. I remember as a Mormon and I, I always thought, Oh, well, we don't, that's not us we're, because we're the right way. And we're not really <laughs> saying that you have to earn your way into heaven. You're, you know, you, but yeah, yeah, we did. Yeah. This is so good. I'm getting flashbacks to the very beginning of my mission. Um, If I could share this, this is totally what you're, yeah, because I was on the plane and like a good brand new missionary, you know, I turned to the person next to me and start talking about, and now it's like the me of 2021. It's like, I would never do that. (laughs) Mm. But anyway, we're talking about, it's very clear that I'm a missionary because you got the tag and, you know, I'm talking to this lady and, and she's Baptist and she's trying to explain to me, she's like, well, she's like, well, you're wearing your religion on your shirt, literally. So I'm going to give you some of my experience. Would that be all right? And I'm like, yeah, sure. Um, which 
I not to brag, but I think that is rare for a new missionary to be like, Hey, I would love to just listen to you for a little while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just totally listened to her and she's like, you guys are trying and I give you credit for that. But how often do you hear the word grace in church? Yeah, right. and I'm like, well, not really that often. And she's like, yeah, there's a reason for that because you guys are all about the honey do list is what yeah. she called it. Yeah. The honey do list. <laughs> and she's like, but no matter what you do, you're still imperfect. So the only thing that is going to save you in the end is the grace of Christ. And that stuck with me. And I actually, throughout my mission, I used that as a template. Mm-hmm. So whenever other missionaries were like, okay, you got to do that. You got to stop. I'm just like, well, yeah, but do they believe in the savior? Do they believe in the book of Mormon? Do they really feel like, like this is unconditional godly love that will ultimately save them? Or did they memorize the pamphlet and they're doing what they said they're going to do. And then after they're baptized, they'll just start doing it again. Like they'll start breaking the rules again. (laughs) And so what if they do? So, so what if, if the life that you live or the life that either of your children lives is a life of sin um, by the standards of the Mormon church, which might include iced coffee, whether it's a hot drink or not. Um, And, and, you know, if you do take cocaine or heroin or a- any kind of horrible thing, um, the, the class I'm taking right now is about substance use disorders. And oh, wow. there's always, there's, there's always pain and trauma behind these, these substance use disorders. And if you're treating just the disorder and you're saying this is bad, you're, you're just putting them in a shame cycle that mm-hmm. isn't really addressing the main issue. But if, if you're saying that the gospel can help people in their lives, and what you mean by that is the unconditional love of a, a God towards the children of man, that you're going to be saved out of my love for you, out of my grace for you, and you emulate that, then, then with your kids, no matter what kinds of mistakes they make, you're always looking, what, what's going on? Like, how can I help you? What, where are you in pain? Um, what, what, what can we do? And so we're not just covering it up with these other things and um, calling it sin and pushing people away. Yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> so someone who's inc- like ridiculously judgmental, if I'm judging them, a church member, then my love is conditional. Like I'm violating my own belief yeah. system. Right. Yeah. If yeah, if 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 to you the highest ideal is to be uh, unconditionally loving and non-judgmental, and you find yourself putting conditions on people and judging them, then you know you've got some work to do. And we yeah. all have work to do. Everybody's got their work to do. So yeah. we could spend our time looking at other people and this needs to be fixed and this needs to be fixed and that person's wrong and I need to cancel this person and how dare they. But those are all real reflections of what's going on inside of every single person. And until we really take the time and humble ourselves and go in to do that work, it's just going to be this frustrating. We're always going to be frustrated because there's always going to be somebody doing something wrong. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's it's like trying to wrestle a tidal wave, it feels like. And that's, I mean, you know, cards on the table. I mean, this whole pandemic thing and just the way things have gone over the last, what, year and a half longer. Um, it's just, it's felt very just heavy, you know, like, wow, there's so many crazy people. There are so many crazy things and I have to fix all of it. Well, no one told me I have to fix it. <laughs> you know, yeah. I think we tell right. ourselves that. Um, but fixing yourself, I think, is probably the best way to effect real change, maybe. It's it's the only way to affect real change because you can't change anybody else. You can, you can only affect real change within yourself. Like, yeah. I, how much do you know about your brain? Um, not a whole lot. Still learning. Yeah. <laughs> Spend, spend, spend some time learning about what neural pathways are and what neurons are okay. and neurons and synapses. And it has just amazed me the things that I have taken for granted and been totally ignorant of just hmm. my, my own mind, my, my conscious mind, my unconscious mind, what my brain is doing at all times. Mm -hmm. it is, it's just a, a revelation um, that things, things that I do impact the way that I see the world, impact the way that I feel. And mm -hmm. if I'm if I'm not aware of that, what am I doing to myself out of ignorance? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's so true, because three years of legal education probably deeply entrenched some neural pathways. Yeah. That actually made me more ignorant in some ways because I'm not willing to look at anything a different way, you mm -hmm. know? Yeah. Like like blinders on a horse a little bit in some ways. Yeah. yeah. Shoot. Oh, got some work to do then. <laughs> yeah, we all do. Well, thanks, Zach, for reaching out. Did, did you get what you wanted out of this? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, this, this was phenomenal. Cool. I'm glad. Yeah. All right. Well, don't be a stranger. We can, we can talk more. If there's other times you want to do something like this, just let me know. I, you know, I have never, I've never read the CES letter. Wow. I, I, I left and I was doing podcasting before uh, that came out. I remember when it came out and yeah. I've looked at it and just been totally overwhelmed by it. Like when it first came out, I remember thinking, Oh, I was going to do something like that. You know, I, I had the inclination to put, to do something like this too. And yeah, I don't really even know Jeremy um, even though we've kind of been around in the same circles for, for a long time, but I I've, I've thought about, possibly um, doing a deep dive into the CES letter, looking at things and kind of how my perspective on life now might add something to the CES letter that hasn't been added before. I don't know. So if you were ever interested in doing something like that, just let me know. We could, we could do some. That'd be cool. I haven't read it in years. So that'd yeah. be interesting. But cool. Well, thank you. This was All right. awesome. <laughs> cool. Well, have a good night. Um, go give your wife and kids a big hug and, uh, yeah, work on moving that six up to a seven. You got it. That's the goal. Right on. <laughs> okay. Take care of that. You too. Put down the weapons that you use against yourself. You don't need them anymore. Hey there. Thanks for listening all the way to the end. Now, I really hope that you enjoyed today's episode. I have more to say about this topic, and I'm going to do that with a follow-up behind-the-scenes sharing time episode on Patreon. So, 
If you're in a position where you can throw me a few dollars each month to support the work that I put into creating this podcast, please come and support me on Patreon, where you'll also get access to additional content. Did you know that I also create sharing time episodes that are available only to Patreon subscribers? I've been doing that for a few years, so there's a lot of content there that you can have access to. So please come and support this podcast if you can. I greatly appreciate it. Hi, this is Hillary, Matthew, Ryan, Carol, Dashley, and I like to play bingo online while listening to Infants on Thrones. You can comment on this episode on the website, infantsonthrones.com. And if you really like what you hear, give the quorum a five-star rating and write a short review on iTunes. I did. I did. I did. Anyone for the closing prayer? My worst crime is an inside job. Dark thoughts taking over like an inside mob. I tune into the scene between the eyes. And take a breath. Thank you for listening to Infants on Front. I sit still and watch the thoughts float past me. Never mind the future, never mind what the past be. I like to jump and let the universe catch me. Three, four, watch the beauty blow past me. I keep my pockets like destination in sight. Keep my actions elevated to compassionate heights. I'm walking past the fight, laying down on such a night. Choosing love when I pick up this mic.